My name is Amale Ojo, originally from Nigeria. And I'm Musumala Ojo, originally from Nigeria too. We'll be nine years married on uh, November 2nd. Giving has always been a practice for us. Even when things were financially challenging for us, we were still giving. We were still giving despite that. We've always had a, a relationship with God from the start, and we knew that uh, giving is what God expects of us. We've just always studied the Word and asking God for the grace to put the Word into practice. And God has been helping us with understanding His Word. And I'm just going to read uh, what Christ said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So which means that even when we give to help, you know, our brethren, brothers and sisters around us, we are actually doing it to God. We have to express our love back to him. It's written in the word that he's the one that gives us the power to make wealth. So if he gives us the power to make wealth in appreciation back to him, we should give back to him to show a token of love. We should just see giving as an act of worship. You just have to trust God. You know, you have to trust God that is going to keep his word. Just trust him. And I would never fail at his word. Good morning, everybody. It is so good to see each and every one of you here. We are so thankful. We want to welcome those who are joining us online and um, our Albion Extension, our Monroe Extension. It's so good to see you. You guys are looking wonderful this morning. If this is your first time at the Father's house, um, we've kept you a seat for a long time. Let me pray for us. And I'm going to share with you a message that I really believe is going to challenge us all in our relationship and our trust and our following of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your faithfulness, your loving kindness over every heart. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will cause our hearts to um, receive your word and respond to your word with faith, with joy. Uh, God, how we love you this morning. How we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, um, I want to quickly catch up on last week if you were not here. Last week, we began to speak on bless up. I shared with you last week that it's important for you and I to understand that whenever we speak about money, it almost feels uh, we have a sense of discomfort because we don't understand how God, how Jesus spoke into money so often because it's almost the same phrase or the same if I can call it the same category as when your family is around, you say, don't talk politics and don't talk about the bulls losing again. That's, we're not going to talk about that, right? But last week we discovered something, that money 
can add meaning to your life. Money is not the meaning of life. I want you to just hold on to that for a moment. Money adds meaning to your life. It's not the meaning of your life. The other thing we said that money becomes most meaningful when it's a means to an end. What do I mean by that? We said that whenever we begin to see God's blessing in our lives, not only for us, but through us, the things that God is doing and wants to do and continue to do in this, you see pictures on the walls over the last 23 some years. And the churches, you come from every significant moment that has lasting impact on creation, on people, on the needs of people, when the credits are run, the question is, will your name, will your investment, will your generosity be in the credits of your life? But today, I want to uh, hold something with, with tender hands, because this message and what Jesus is revealing in Scripture challenges me as much as it's going to challenge you. Because the truth is this, either you and I control our money or our money will control us. That is a hard saying. Because I understand as you and I are sitting here, the internal voice right now in my mind and your mind understands the pressure, the financial pressure that we have right now in this world. We fully understand the interest are up, gas prices are up, food prices are up, inflation is up. But I want you to understand that financial pressure has not as much to do with how much you earn. It's got to do with what you do with what you earn. To the rest of the world, if they were to sit among us right now, they will find it inconceivable to think that you and I have financial pressure. For, for some of them, if they see your paycheck, they would say, if I can get that once, every dream in my life would be fulfilled if I could just get that one time in my life. And you and I need to understand that the great news really is this. Money is a better servant than what it is a master. It is a better servant than what it is a master. So Paul wrote about this. Because Paul is writing in the book of Galatians. And he's saying this to us, followers of Christ. He says, put on the new self made after God. And then understand that God is giving you help. He's going to produce in you something that's not innate to the human nature. In other words, he says, if he doesn't give us the Holy Spirit, we will allow our human nature to control our appetite, our desires, and that kind of life that is lived may seem significant right now, but it's a meaningless life at the end of the journey. And he says these things for us. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. Come on, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and 
Self-control. Self-control is an interesting one, right? Because the things you've just read are the catalytic things that God, by His Spirit, wants to produce in us, and it's counter to the appetite of our human nature that we were born with. You see, self-control, by its very definition, is not something that our culture preaches into right now. Advertising agencies work very hard to bridge your self-control and sell you an idea that promise you happiness if you get what you should not get. And the crazy thing is, every single time we want to get it, we call it an investment. Right? Come on, how many of you stood in front of something? You know I, I shouldn't. You say, honey, it's such an investment. Until you get home and all of a sudden your eyes open and you realize that you have just been baited again because the culture plays into our appetites for more and more and always over promise that will make us happy until the new, new model arrives. And then they say, if you get this one with more colors, then you'll really be happy. And when you get it, they go like, we thought you would be happy. But you know how happy we are with a new model of 16 colors, you, right? You have no idea. That's why I want to revisit. Because when Jesus talks about money, it is not how much you have in your pocket. It's what money represents and what money wants of us. Because money is a terrible slave master. Can I say it again? Money is a terrible slave master. And the person that won the lottery this past week will not believe a single word that I'm saying right now. But in time, when you speak to them, they will tell you money is a terrible slave master. Last week we read the scripture in Luke chapter 16 verse 13. It says, no one can to serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said this only once and he didn't put in there God and fame, God and status, God and other gods, he says you cannot serve God and money. And this is where Jesus wants to unmask the very nature of what money does if we do not control it. Because you know that you have control over money. Where you send it, it will go. Come on now. Where you send it, it will go. And if you don't send it, it will send you. That is the truth of it. So when Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, a master is someone who's in charge of another by virtue of ownership. Some of you may be sitting here right now and say, Pastor P, I don't have any masters. I, I am the master of my own universe right now. So this scripture really doesn't apply to me at all. I'm held by nothing. 
I would kick back and tell you this, that I believe where your ultimate hope is, your ultimate reliance is, that is the thing that you will chase and serve all the days of your life. Whatever you think will promise you a better tomorrow, you will serve that thing. And if that thing disappears, you'll stay up at night. If that thing becomes weak, you would not eat. Because your hope is in something or someone. And whoever that something or someone is, Jesus says, whether you like it or not, that will become the master of your life. So when Jesus was talking about this, he was not talking about how much. He was talking about who is the Lord of your heart? Who is the one that controls your hope and holds your tomorrow? Who is the one that is the, the one that you can say, in this I rest. Everything can change. But this one thing I know. And I want to ask you this question. Why is it so easy for us to ultimately trust God that through the cross of Jesus, he can wash away our sin? Why is it so easy for us to know where to run in our time of need? When our world collapses, when there's a catastrophe, when there's an implosion, when there is an emergency outside of the control of our hands, why is it so easy even for people who've drifted from faith to put God at the center of it. You know where most promises are prayed? In prison. Awaiting a trial. It is in these things. God, I know you can get me out. God, I know you can do miracles. God, why is it we trust him so easily with everything else. But when it comes to him as our source our provider, and the one that can hold our tomorrows faithfully, we have a great disconnect. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 is so beautiful. He says, so my very dear friends, come on, let's read it. Don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. Not the penny machines and Del Lago. Every good gift comes from heaven. I love how the message says, the gifts are rivers of life cascading down from the Father of light. And then he says this, don't be like them. Who are they? They are those who are controlled by their own appetite and believe that if it's going to be, it is up to them. He says, for your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. And then he says, this beautiful. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more? Come on, shout how much more? Come on, shout how much more? If you as a father and mother knows how to give good gifts to your children, and sometimes... You know that giving them good gifts is not the right thing, but your love compels you. If you know how to do this, how much more your father will give you good gifts to those who ask him. But you see, 
I believe that the challenge is not one of acquiring more stuff. The challenge is one of faith and trust and corresponding action because everything that requires faith can be in an agreement and in the mind and in the heart. Because you see, you can easily say, I believe. But until belief has a step of risk, you know, all the disciples could have said, we believe you can walk on the water, Jesus. Peter was the only one that was foolish enough to say, if you call me, I will come. Jesus didn't say to all the disciples, here is a demonstration of faith. Everybody gets up. Everybody gets up. But Peter was the one that realized faith without works has no stories to tell about the miraculous that is just superficial and seems absurd in the mind of this world. You, you will never experience the divine coming into the realm of understanding Unless you take the step, there is always a risk to take. So Jesus, when to teach his disciples the principle of God first, and you know the scripture so well, come on, let's read it out loud. He says, therefore, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. I, I'm going to reverse this. God is going to give you everything you need. But you've got to be in right standing with him and put him as the highest priority of your life. God first. Come on, just say with me, God first. God first. Why? Why God first? Because you see, God knows when it comes to our possession, when it comes to money that is contending to control our hearts through fear, the way that God wants to contend and come against that paralyzing control is he says, put God first above all things. And Jesus was about to model this with his disciples. And Naja, if you can play, I want to finish this up. I'm not feeling so well this morning. Jesus was sitting with his disciples You know, we spoke about the kingdom of God. He said, if you see these things, the kingdom of God is near. In their minds, the only parallel they have is the kingdoms of this world. For them, when they heard the kingdom of God, they were thinking the Messiah would come and set up an earthly kingdom. He would cast Rome out cast the wicked rule out and set up a Jewish nation, a Jewish state where the Messiah would rule and reign. So when they heard this, they began to fight among themselves who was going to sit in the seat of power next to Jesus. Literally, they were fighting their position on the cabinet of rule and reign. Two of the guys sent their mother to go say to Jesus, Now, you know my boys are good. I raised them well. Would you mind if the one sits on your left, the other one sits on your right? When you set up your kingdom, 
what is she thinking? She's going to become the cabinet minister's mother. She herself now thinks of her status, her access. Then Jesus, one day, took off his rabbinic, rabbinical robe that had great significance. He took a towel. He took a bowl of water, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. When he got to Peter, Peter said, "You're not going to wash my feet, because you see, washing feet was not the work of the owner of the house. It was the work of the servant of the owner of the house. It was a very humble act. They walked with sandals in desert land." They did not go for pedicures. I'm talking nasty feet. And when they began to talk about rule and reign, Jesus said these words. Come on, the first few is most important. Not so with you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I can see in you that you think that my kingdom is going to be one where others are serving you. Not so with you. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you must be a servant of others. In other words, what he is saying: my kingdom is about God first, others first, and you will prosper. It's not about you. It's not about your appetite that can never be. It's not about my appetite. It's about God first, others first, and God will add and give significance to our lives in every way. You see, the script that you and I were born in is a script where it is my food. I am so confused that in some homes, people have been married for twenty years, but when somebody touches their Dr. Pepsi. They go like, "Who touched my Dr. Pepsi?" Right? And you go like, "What? You married? And you still write your name on your Dr. Pepper?" Right? At which point do you go like, "This Dr. Pepper is our Dr. Pepper," and if we all drink it, let's just get more Dr. Pepper. The moment it's my stuff, it's the narrative of an appetite, and it's a narrative of a mind that's got a scarcity mindset. Everything is yours, and I'm going to put barbed wire around it. Nobody's going to touch it. I'm going to tell you right now: if this is how you live, I have deep compassion because you were probably raised that way. But can I tell you something? Your name will never be in the credit of anything. And when people talk about you, they're going to laugh about your Dr. Pepper. They're not going to honor you. They're not going to talk about your generosity, and what is holding you is the voice of fear that is telling you if that Dr. Pepper is gone, you don't have enough. There is not enough, and I want you to know more than anything. I think Jesus would say, "Not so with you. Not so with you. When others hold back, not so with you. When others..." Refuse to be generous. Not so with you. When others don't want to put God first, not so with you. Not so with you. You're not holding back. 
God is a generous God. He's a God that says it's not about just giving. It's about freeing your heart. Because where your heart is, that's where your love will be. It is God first. So you see, I believe with all of my heart, the evidence of followers, the evidence that you are my follower and trust me as your ultimate hope, is how are we doing with God first. When it comes to our possessions, when it comes to our resources. You say, Pastor P, but it feels so much like it's about giving now. Give me just four more minutes. I want you to pay attention to the inner conversation right now. Because you are not your inner voice. Remember, I spoke to you about that. You are not the voice in your head. Because you would not be that cruel to yourself. Because if you had to play what the voice is saying to you, and you personalize that as a person you're taking a very long train ride with, that person will not get to the next station. You would throw them off the train. You go like, you can't talk to me that way. Because the internal voice is a voice that always speak and catastrophize things. Now listen to that inner voice. You see, I believe with all of my heart that faith as a principle is easily embraced. But when we take a next step in our faith, the internal voice begins to speak. Because what I would like to introduce to you this week, every one of you received a card as you came. And this is the card of generosity, God first practice. This is not a building fund. This is not, we're going to build an orphanage. This is not anything. This is you, God, and the practice of God first. Because scripture says it this way. Oh, I love this. He says, every Sunday, come on. Each of you make an offering and put it in safekeeping. Be as generous as you can. How often does he say do it? Every Sunday. In other words, God says every single time you get a, get a paycheck, that paycheck has a desire to contend for your heart. That paycheck is making promises. That paycheck has the power to shift your heart off course and put you in a place where you put your trust in what that promise and the world is delivering. He says, but not so with you. Every Sunday, put God first. And then he says this, for the purpose of tithing, that's God first giving. Come on, is to teach you to always put God. Come on, to do what? To do what? And I go like, Jesus, could you not like have that practice in smiles and hugs on Sundays? Could you not have that practice in prayer? Could you not have that practice in something else? But the reason why it is in money is because money has such a powerful 
powerful, powerful influence to control and scare us and fear, put fear in us and put promise in us. But God said, not so with you. Because when you give, you put your trust in me. Father Sals, I want you to know that there are many people among you that have got this as a practice. My family, I've never, 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 never been raised. And I've never lived a day where my wife and I not give our first 10% to God before everything else. Because the moment I begin to not give and then give, I begin to lift my life to a place where I cannot go without that 10%. But you see, I know what that 10% does for me. For you don't have to be 10% right now. For you, it's God first. Where my treasure is, that's where my heart is. When I pray, I do need God as my source. I need His blessing. I need His goodness. And above all things, it's not what I get back is that my name will come up in the credits of the ongoing work of God right here on the earth. Because the credits of many of you are sitting is an Apollo in the orphanage that you gave towards. Is a New Delhi towards the chicken farm and the leper colony that you gave. Is in Sierra Leone in a village where right now they are living because this church invested. I can go on and on and on and on it and change lives. It's in God first. But I want you to know as I look in this camera, it's not about achieving. It's about loving. It's about surrendering. It's about putting God first. I'm going to pray. And I want you this week to begin to meditate on this. God, how do I begin to live putting you first? Because if giving each week teaches me to trust you, you have been faithful. You will remain faithful. And God, above all things, I want my heart to be in love with a faithful one. And if this is the act that connects me to it, God, teach me to walk in obedience. Jesus, this is not a suggestion you are making. This is a principle of anchoring my heart. So, Father, I pray right now. As we are sitting in this place, I know that the inner voice that we hear sometimes so cynical, argumentative. The resistance can become so loud. The logic so echoing in our soul because that's not how the world works. But you said, not so with you. And this morning I pray that we will become followers that will live in this upside down kingdom. That above all things we will put you first, O oh God. We will give because we know our hearts 
and our love will be anchored and our faith will increase and our lives will be enriched and our generosity will expand beyond what we can see. That's why you called us co-workers with Christ. And Jesus, you gave yourself when we were yet sinners with no guarantee that we would respond back. But here we are. Here you, we are because of your giving first. So I pray as we're deciding on this, God, help us not to just shift. Help us not to simply be passive. But God, as your followers, Jesus, as your disciples, compel our hearts to step out in faith weekly and practice generosity and God first. This is my prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen.